0: Welcome to the to read list. I'm Bailey and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 149 unread books on my shelf. With me as always is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Hello. Hello everyone. It's so weird because we're not all in the same room and that Rarely happens.
1: Rarely. I mean, this is regular life for me, barely.
0: That's true, but Toby's not with us, and like we we have a Toby-shaped hole in our living room.
1: Yeah, sorry about that. I
2: just go crazy with my carpentry tools sometimes, and I want you guys to remember <laughs> what I look like.
0: Where are you? Where in the world is Toby?
2: Uh, Toby San Diego is in Chico, California, where I went to school. Uh, I'm here with my good old friend Sam, uh, who I went to college with, and we're just here for a bit of a re- reunion tour. We came here accidentally on Alumni Weekend, we found out. I had no idea it was Alumni Weekend. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot older people than us here <laughs> walking around from Chico, uh, and it's a real trip. If you haven't been back to your college town since you went there, I recommend it, because it'll blow your mind. It's really weird.
0: Yeah, I haven't really been back. I've been back once in 12 years. Wait, so when you say that it's Alumni Weekend, are you running into like people from your own class? No. <laughs> oh, okay. That would be crazy.
2: Uh, yeah, no. I don't I don't think many of my class. I think I think alumni associations really aren't doing as well as they used to because they just basically ask for a ton of money, right? And I have never yeah. really wanted to donate that money and so yeah, I'm not a part of the alumni association.
0: I think too like, you know, social media is killing us, right? Like <laughs> I have less of an impulse to go to reunions and things because, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of can tell what everybody's up to, you know, because I can keep, yeah, you know, easier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I went to my five year relatively recently, it was like very little small talk to do because all of the like things like what's your job? Where do you live? Was already sort of known to everybody. It's like, yeah, we know that you live in New York because we see your Instagram posts.
0: Yeah. It's more like coming up with a way to like elegantly ask mm-hmm. without pretending like you already know. Like, oh, are, do you have any children?
2: So elegant, Bailey.
0: Oh, thanks.
2: I feel like a more elegant way would be like, Madame, dost
1: thou have progeny? (laughs) They'd be like, when did Bailey hit her head really hard?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just be like, that's why we're not friends in real life, just on Facebook. (laughs) So guys, I wanted to talk to you about something this week, which is I feel like I'm going through not like a reading slump, but a phase when I'm not reading as much. And I wondered if you guys ever have this. Like, I have this new promotion job where I have to drive into the office and used to be working from home. And I find that I only have a few hours free a day. And I haven't been reading as much. I've been watching more TV. I've been obsessed with this Netflix show, The Circle It's great. I've heard a lot about that one. Yeah, it's addictive, and I've been catching up on all the Oscar movies. But like, do you guys ever go through phases where like you read books more or you watch TV more or is this just am I just going through a slump?
1: Um, I mean, I definitely go through phases where I'm like plowing through books more. It usually is tied to a Goodreads goal and trying to make said Goodreads goal. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I often I often end up in a slump. I find I get more into like the rhythm of certain. This is true for me with podcasts where I will like not listen to one for eight months and then listen to like 20 episodes in a week. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I
2: I do think that. Because, Bailey, before you got this new position where you had like a more typical commute experience, mm. uh, the three of us, we all had somewhat non traditional jobs where we have maybe more free time than the, the average person. So I think mm-hmm. there are probably listeners out there who are like screaming into their steering <laughs> wheel that they like every day. Everyone commutes like two hours and they're all used to it. They're like, yes, this is what life is. <laughs> but I agree with Andrew. I think podcasts will really leach a lot of my I'll get into a podcast and I'll, I'll not read a lot. But yeah, sometimes and then sometimes I'll have like two or three books in a row that really didn't live up to my expectations. And that'll throw me off. I'll, I'll yeah. be off my reading game for a while if that happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. That that happens to me, too. Like, there's just can be a book that just derails you. It slows you down.
3: Well, have you tried being on a podcast that forces you to read a book every week? Because that usually helps.
0: <laughs> I was behind on my reading goal. And then I went to Silent Book Club today and read like 150 pages in an hour. So That was helpful sometimes it's good to have zero distractions but because i'm going through this slump like i don't have any shame i haven't had even. you also
1: promised that you wouldn't have any so i'm hoping that that's your main (laughs) motivation yes
2: you sound sound very proud of yourself but you're just kind of meeting your promise
0: Mm. i just haven't even had the temptation like normally like there's a temptation except i did get invited to a book swap and i'm a little conflicted because on the one hand like i want to make friends and I want to swap books, but on the other hand, like I, I made a promise.
1: You can go, but you can only
2: swap for books you've already
1: read, <laughs> <laughs> and then put those immediately into a little free library. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: Would be funny if I swapped for the same title. It's like, okay, let's swap to *Kill a Mockingbird*. <laughs>
1: it's uh, it's the same edition,
0: Bailey. <laughs> oh, well, uh,
1: yeah, yours just looks like it's got a little more crisp in the pages. <laughs> Ooh. Got that nice smell. Um,
0: um, miss? <laughs> and they're like,
1: ma'am, you you must leave.
0: Oh yeah, that's the stuff. I do that at bookstores. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, it'll be like I pick one up and I'm I'm checking it out, and it will seem like it has a good smell, and then I'll take a good sniff.
2: Oh boy. <laughs> well, that that segues. <laughs> That segues quite well into my uh, Moment of unshame I have a moment of pride today Went with have to
1: think about the word for a second It's such a foreign unshame, feeling
2: yes. <laughs> I went with my friend Sam to Barnes and Nobles uh, Barnes and Noble Excuse me, I keep calling it Bar- Have you guys? Did you guys ever call it when you were a kid, Barnes and Nobles? I call it Daddy BNN BNN um, <laughs> <laughs> that really threw me off my mental train of thought. <laughs> uh, um, but I encouraged him to get a copy of uh, Yuval Noah Harari's Homo Deus, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, but I put myself in a very tricky situation because I was in, you know, the lair of the beast. You know, I was there, surrounded by books that I wanted to read. There's a new mm-hmm. Isabel Allende book that was just screaming at me,
1: uh, but I didn't. I didn't get a book.
0: Good job, Toby. <laughs> you did it. That's really well
1: done, Toby. <laughs> I, on the other hand, bought a new book.
0: Oh, no! <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, in my re- resolutions, if we if we play those back, I was not nearly as strict on myself about buying new books as you were. <laughs> I pretty much kept it to like not adding to my number overall through the year, so I think I'll still be okay. Um, <laughs> we don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but I bought, uh, bought a book, which is going to sound tremendously boring to almost every one of our listeners, but I bought it anyway. Um, it's called The Names Heard Long Ago colon how the golden age of hungarian soccer shaped the modern game <laughs> oh boy <laughs> by jonathan wilson <laughs>
0: that sounds like somebody now, trying to torture me with a book like what would you least like to read?
1: <laughs> now just to justify this a little bit i've known about this book for a couple of years now it came out i think two years ago um and the guy who wrote it jonathan wilson is also, a, a sports journalist, and he does the Guardian's Football Weekly podcast, which is one of the most popular soccer podcasts in the world. I won't go into it more than that. Bailey, but I'm just hearing this- like a weird buzzing noise. I'm just yeah, hearing like right. <laughs>
0: I'm just hearing, like, soccer, soccer, soccer.
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, he's been talking about this book for a while that has come out, and I was like, I'm not going to read that. That sounds terribly boring. But then he went into one of the anecdotes from it, which is about how there was this prisoner of war camp in World War II where somehow all of the best soccer players and coaches ended up. Germans would pay in the thousands to go watch these prisoners of war play, and so that intrigued me, so I bought the book. (laughs) Yeah, there's a Sylvester Stallone movie on that. Is there really? Yeah, Victory. Escape to Victory?
3: (laughs) I think it's just called Victory here in America.
1: Uh, well, either way, I think that's a, a dramatization of the real story. So I want to find out what happens behind it. I don't think Sylvester Stallone was You're involved in the You're saying they didn't real. lock up Sylvester <laughs> Stallone and Pele and made them play together? <laughs> Wait, does Sylvester Stallone play a soccer player? And Pele is also in
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, how did Pele get up to be a pit prisoner of war?
1: he's that good he's not <laughs> he's not playing himself
2: <laughs> no oh my wait the He's acting, acting. The oh, movie has he's Pele act, thought... and and sylvester stallone
1: acting together i want to see this yes as well as several other like historically great soccer players and michael kane michael kane yeah, as well it. Also does he play soccer, soccer? <laughs> <laughs> I I haven't actually seen the movie. Uh-huh. I just have looked through the IMDb before. I kind of want to see I would, Michael I would play. watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I have one book of shame. I will not ultimately add numbers to my list this year. I will net go down, but I am plus one so far today. Mm.
0: Uh, but, Andrew, with the uh, with your soccer book that I forgot the title because all I heard was Soccer Soccer.
1: The name's heard long ago. <laughs> 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 How the Golden Age of Hungarian Soccer Improves the Modern Game yes. by Jonathan um, Wilson. Uh,
0: <laughs> are you going to add that to the two-read list? Like, could it be chosen at random? or are you gonna just read that on your own for fun?
1: So, are you suggesting that the people don't <laughs> wanna hear me book?
0: I didn't say anything.
1: I, I do add them to the list so technically they could be picked, but I intend on reading them outside of the podcast mm-hmm. um, and then removing them surreptitiously because I just don't think that they're like a, a, a good fit for what we're, what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. This probably falls pretty heavily into that category, but if it comes up randomly before I get to it, we'll see.
0: Okay, cool. Well, speaking of books coming up on your list, Andrew, I am dying to hear. This week, you had to read a book from your shelf that contains two volumes. And I'm really curious if you read both. So tell tell us what book you read and your journey.
1: So selected from my shelf was Robinson Crusoe and A Journal of the Plague Gear by Daniel Defoe. And I did not read both of them. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I, I do not blame you. <laughs> yeah, Toby. I know. Also, like, you were your you, your curiosity was piqued and you decided to also read Robinson Crusoe. I I think maybe you'll, you're on my side in terms of not reading another Defoe right after. I am
2: so <laughs> so on your side. I, if you had come and said that you actually read the other one, I would have been completely flabbergasted.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do the extra credit. And uh, let's get into the review. I don't want to tip my hand too much. Okay, okay. So Robinson Crusoe uh, is about. The misadventures of an Englishman, Robinson Crusoe, who leaves his home looking for adventure, only to face a series of disasters leading to a 28-year stay on a deserted island in the Caribbean. Can he survive the elements and make a life worth living away from society? Is the question Daniel Defoe poses to our eager readers.
3: (laughs) Well, it sounds like he found adventure. I mean, 28 years of it. (laughs)
1: He certainly found adventure. So Robinson Crusoe, just to give a little more deep plot overview, is a precocious 19 year old who wants to find adventure in the late 1600s. So against the advice of his of his caring father and mother, who say we can set up a life for you here, like he says no, and he leaves. Um, immediately he gets into a shipwreck and is like, great, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I just got in a shipwreck, like going from one part of England to Yarmouth in England. Um, continues sailing. Soon after, after having like one brief foray into success, gets attacked by pirates and becomes a slave to, I believe, a Turkish or a Moroccan person, if it is not shocking to you. He's not really specific with where the people of other races come from in this book. (laughs) Oh no. And then he's a a slave there for a few years. He then escapes with a young boy. Uh, I won't get into too many details. He sails along Africa, gets picked up by a uh, Portuguese ship who save him and like are so generous to him, give him all these gifts and like buy the goods he had from him to help him get a start. And then also buy his friend into slavery. And he's just cool with it. Oh yeah. He's so cool with Shuri getting sold into slavery. This is the first 40 pages of the book. What?
2: (laughs) It's so rough. He's like, he goes on so much about how much he loves this boy he's with. And like, he tries to kind of like square it with the boy. He's like, boy, wouldn't you like to become a slave? And the boy is like, I would, sir. And he's like great and he sells the boy into slavery it's yeah this is here's so a, problematic here's the
1: exact quote when i let him know my reason he owned it to be just and offered me this medium that he would give the boy an obligation to set him free in 10 years if he turned christian upon this ensure saying he was willing to go to him i let the captain have him what? <laughs> that's <laughs> He's just like, yeah, my friend, 10 years slavery, as long as he's a Christian. Oh, man, this book is so bananas. Wow. Actually, I overstated it. That is the 38th page. So <laughs> we are like not very far into the book. <laughs> to just keep this going, he leverages that into going to Brazil with the Portuguese people, buys a plantation, and is like, oh, man, I was this, I was a slave in Morocco for a while. That was awful. But I need to make money. And slavery is not technically legal here yet. I'm going to do a, a sneaky mission with some other people in this colony to go steal slaves from Africa. Um.
0: So, so, wait, so he was a slave. He knows how terrible it is. And He's like, but, you know, it would be great as being a slave owner.
3: Maybe he did learn from it and said that, like, oh, man, I was a slave. And you know what? Being a slave owner seemed a lot better.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> On this trip that is very ill-planned, that is when his boat crashes. He is the only survivor of a wreck and ends up on a deserted island in the Caribbean, which is later pinpointed to be like Tobago, is roughly where it is.
0: I have a question.
1: I don't see why.
0: (laughs) 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 Is it framed framed like this is a bad guy and it's part of his journey to crash and to learn and to grow from that experience or is it just like no, this is this is just his life.
1: Interesting question. That's a great question. Um yeah, because he is uh telling you the story and he is wholly justified in everything he's doing, basically. Um I mean there are moments later in the book where he um like reckons with what he's done in the past and like calls what he's done wicked, but there's like nothing in the moment that makes you think he's doing anything that bothers his conscience until like chapters later where he reflects on it and is like not specifically but I guess I was a little wicked to get set on this island Mm. it's sort of hard to describe so yeah he he doesn't really have religion until he's on the island and then he goes into great depths of like deciding that this was god's providence put him into this life and like repent for what he's done it's like always like i was mad for a second that i was on this island instead of appreciating that god let me live and survive on this island versus being like buying a bunch of slaves and Just to continue on doing that, like to to tell the story a little more, I won't dabble in the plot much longer. He survives on the island for a long time. Eventually, he uh, saves from dying uh, at the hands of some cannibals. His man, Friday, uh, who is... The first person he's been able to talk to in years, and immediately he says, he'd be a good servant. He doesn't think this is his friend. He says, ah, this is great, because I wanted a servant. Not like after 20-something years being like, oh, I can finally talk to another person. He immediately is like, well, that's a brown person, so I'm going to enslave him. Um. Yeah, so yeah it's not really a spoiler to say that robinson crusoe gets off the island it's it's foregrounded in the preface that it happens he's telling you the story so i won't go into how it ends up happening so if you can't tell from my sort of general attitude towards the book (laughs) this book and this is sort of my overarching review is a book of the 1700s and I wonder if it just shouldn't stay a book of the 1700s, and it, it, I don't know that it actually has a place going forward. I've already sort of touched on the problematic racism, which I mean, obviously, wouldn't have been the prevailing attitude of that time. But like, reading it from from here, you see like all the stuff he says about Friday, which is all like incredibly problematic. The way he makes him speak in this sort of broken English after he teaches him English. At the end of the book, Robinson Crusoe is still perfectly happy making money from having a slave plantation. <laughs> mm. like, I,
0: So it's not like he, he's remorseful at the end. He just keeps going.
1: I mean, there is a good amount of religious growth and a, like some attitude growth for Robinson. Some other things I just want to point out, because uh, I feel like I've gone on pretty long, pretty long at this point. <laughs> there is some really odd pacing to this book. It takes place <laughs> over 30 uh-huh. years, uh, actually even more so than that. But still, a 50-page section of the book is him in like a 20 page chapter telling you what he does to set up his camp and then followed that immediately with a chapter that's his journal telling you how he set up the camp oh my like, with god with the exact same events, i could not i
2: could not believe it when it started to repeat exactly the thing he had said in the previous chapter but in journal form with
1: the exact language it <laughs> blew my mind he'll like go in a sentence and then say we lived happily for three years this way (laughs) and then he'll like dig down talking about building a boat for 80 pages (laughs) um one last thing i say because i've just been piling on on this book and i feel like this is the last like dig i'll take at daniel defoe's work um there are only like six named characters in this book uh obviously robinson crusoe is is stranded on an island alone for a very large portion of it later in the book we meet an english person no spoilers how it happens whatever his first name is also robinson (laughs) (laughs) there are like literally six named characters in this book he couldn't think of another one for him i don't know why he did that it was
0: (laughs) that's hilarious maybe he just really loves the name
1: it's near the end of the book I had got like felt a little bit like a, a slog going through it and then he names another character after his main character and <laughs> I was just ex- exhaling loudly in the park where I was reading the book. <laughs> um, so all of this said I want to go back to just this as my review. <clears throat> this book is written in the 1700s. I'm sure it was great for the 1700s. It was interesting. It it brought in a lot of elements of of like the world that no one had seen. I'm sure that was very exciting to people. It's just not a book I feel like we need to read anymore. It's not interesting enough. Like Dracula, like there are some problematic parts of it, but it's really interesting and it really like drives forward. There are classics like that we've gone through all over that have problematic points that are outweighed by the fact that there's like an intriguing plot or some really beautiful writing. This book doesn't really have that. Mm hmm. After this review, it may shock you to hear that I'm giving it two stars. Um, I could have given it one, and like part of me wanted to do that, but I also like recognize that it it does have some historic merit. I want to reserve my one star for something truly horrendous, and this is close, but it's not quite there. I was
0: thinking that this is, I think, the oldest book we've read.
1: I think so. Yeah, it's like Toby. You probably know from research, but it's like early 1700s. Yeah, Yeah. I
0: mean, Little Women and um, Hunchback were 1800s, so I think that is the oldest. I think two stars makes sense based on your review.
1: Yeah, two stars. I'm going to keep it on my shelf because I'm hoping you guys let me read a Journal of the Plague here on my own time and get extra credit and get to pick a book. No.
0: (laughs) Do you really want to, though?
1: Depends. Sometimes (laughs) I might really want to pick my own book.
0: (laughs) I, I guess I didn't really know what it was about. I knew it involved a shipwreck, but I think I had conflated it in my mind with Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island and, like just put them all together but this seems like the weakest of the three so it does seem like what's the point of reading it today uh,
1: by far the weakest of the three yeah so i got this i mean i had always been part of sort of the zeitgeist or zeitgeist is the wrong word but like and i found this copy of the book on like a free stack in my college there was like a professor clearing out their books um and there was pretty often like boxes or tables that had like free takeaway books and that's where i got this copy okay
0: is The Plague Gear a sequel to Robinson Crusoe, or is it just another Daniel Defoe book?
1: So Toby might know this better than I. I, I don't believe it is connected to Robinson Crusoe. But there might be sequels of Robinson Crusoe. The book certainly ends on like a cliffhanger suggesting that there's going to be a sequel. Okay. Um,
2: So yeah, I I agree with your review 100%. I was thinking to myself, why is this something that we recommend to especially young readers to read? Really didn't enjoy it. Uh, Really think that we could kind of let this one fade into the background.
0: So how many stars would you give it, Toby?
2: Um, I think I gave it three stars because I really did um, respect the historic nature of it. Um, I think it is, you know, it's one of those early credited novels where people were really kind of figuring out what you could do with the novel. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, And I think, but I really enjoyed the survival aspect. From my research, it's one of the things that made this novel very popular is the kind of realistic. It was basically like Bear Grylls, but for, you know, the late 1700s, I think people really enjoyed that kind of like, oh, that's how I would survive.
0: So Toby, tell us more about Daniel Defoe.
2: Daniel Defoe was a crazy person. He had a Uh -uh. crazy life. Inner Defoe was born in 1660 and he died on the 24th of April in 1731. He was actually born Daniel (laughs) Foe. I don't know why I find that so funny. Uh, He's credited as an English trader, writer, journalist, pamphleteer, and spy. More on that later. Um, He's obviously, he wrote many, many, many things. Uh, This is a a fact here that I have not double checked, but it's on Wikipedia, so it's probably true. Uh, Robinson Crusoe is second only to the Bible in its number of translations. Whoa. Yes. Um, He's also kind of historically known as one of the earliest proponents of the form of the English novel and helped it rise in popularity. Um, He was a prolific writer. Uh, He produced more than 300 works in his lifetime, books, pamphlets, and journals on diverse topics. He wrote about politics, crime, religion, marriage, psychology, and the supernatural.
1: How many of those were just him listing items, though? (laughs) Because that's what a lot of the book was.
2: Some of them were just like various other versions of his books, but like different things, sentences were changed. He later added the duh to his name for Defoe um, because he thought it sounded more aristocratic. And sometimes he just claimed that he was uh, an aristocrat descended from the family of De Beaufo You know, you guys all know that, that famous aristocratic family, right? Of
1: course. Yeah, no, I actually have a long standing rivalry with them, so I'm not going to say anything more on the subject. <laughs> uh, in his early life, he actually experienced um,
2: some crazy things. He witnessed the Great plague of london which he wrote journal of a plague a year about later in his life and the next year after the plague hit london the great fire of london uh, swept through and he
1: witnessed that as well did he start it
0: i was gonna say it's interesting he was at both you know events
1: it's on wikipedia so it's probably true yeah <laughs> you got me <laughs> You got me good. Um,
2: He started out as a merchant. Um, He did fairly well, but he was kind of known for trading on debt. Um, And then after a long time, he wrote a lot of political pamphlets while he was a merchant. There's a lot of complicated history about how he was a spy. But basically, he was a proponent of the act of union between England and Scotland in the 1700s. So he'd be sent around to different areas of England and Scotland. And he would just basically get like people to talk to them and give him the lay of the land. And sometimes he'd chat them up and buy them drinks and be like, wouldn't it be great if England and Scotland were together? Um, so spy is a generous term, I'd say.
0: He was working in propaganda. That's what Roald Dahl did during World War II.
2: Exactly. He did some other things, but those are the most exciting things. Uh, Going on to Robinson Crusoe, published as fiction, but it has been presumed that it's been based in part on the story of a real life person, a Scottish castaway named Alexander Selkirk, who spent four years, not 30, stranded in the Juan Fernandez Islands. But his was dramatically less. Uh, dramatic <laughs> than Robinson Crusoe's story. <laughs> Robinson Crusoe uh, became incredibly, unbelievably popular during his life, uh, brought him great fame and fortune, uh, which he parlayed into basically becoming a bigwig of the time. Um, but yeah, he sounds like a very interesting
1: person um, who lived life to the fullest. Uh, All right. Ooh. Well He earned that D on his foe.
0: Thank you for those facts. That was very interesting. <laughs>
1: Bailey, I heard you got stranded on an island and had to read a book as well this um, week.
0: I did. I only had one book with me. It was Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda by Becky Albertalli. Um, and, well, they made the movie based on it and they called it Love, Simon. So if you're like, what is this book she's talking about? That's what I'm talking about.
2: I will say, better title.
0: It is a better title. I agree. Um, uh, this is a romance following a young gay teen um, who's in high school and he lives in you know a pretty progressive family and pretty progressive friends however he's not quite ready to come out of the closet but the inciting incident is that he is forced to come out of the closet by being blackmailed by this kid in his class who threatens to publish um, on tumblr the emails he has between his secret crush Um, and Simon, the main character, is okay with coming out of the closet a little bit. He's open to it. However, he doesn't want to out, or his pen pal, who he's starting to develop intense feelings for.
2: But just to be super clear, he does not know the identity of the person with whom he's exchanging emails, right?
0: Yes. So it's a, it's sort of a mystery. The person who goes by the name Blue um, posts on their high school Tumblr, which I I guess they're doing today, kids these days.
3: Or kids back in
0: 2007. Yeah. (laughs) He emails Blue once he sees his Tumblr post about feeling alone and... Um, like he has a secret um, and they start a friendship there but they are they go by fake names and Blue especially is very private and tries to sh- shield some, sort of any clue that um, would give away his identity and at first they're kind of friends and then they're bonding over the fact that they're both gay but they're not out but then time progresses they come to admire each other and then
2: and then um, they fall in love <laughs> spoiler alert now. Spoiler alert, I love this book. Sorry, keep going, Bailey.
0: (laughs) I am so excited that you loved it, Toby, because I know that you're not a big YA guy necessarily. Not that you dislike it, but you don't read a lot of YA. So I want to hear your thoughts. So I really like this book too. One of the things I really like about it is that I thought the characters were three-dimensional. Nobody is entirely good or entirely bad. Even Simon makes these mistakes um, and sort of takes advantages of his friends sometimes or says some things that he shouldn't they feel real they feel like real people everybody has good and bad sides which makes them really um believable to me becky albatali intersperses the narrative with the emails between Blue and Simon. And those are a great way to break up what's going on. And it was really cute to see the relationship develop. And, you know, it brings you back to your teenage years and what it's like to have a crush and to like, listen to Elliot Smith, because your crush tells you it's his favorite band or whatever. I think she really captured that beautifully well. Also, the mystery really drives the story. There are a lot of different people it could be, and you're not sure. There's a lot of red herrings. And they do this really well in the movie, actually, where every time he imagines who Blue is, it's a different actor. So you really have no idea until the end, which is this beautiful climax at a carnival where it's revealed who the person is. And um, I I really like the reveal. And the romance is sweet.
2: I wasn't 100% committed to do it but the first chapter is so tight it's so well done where it's like the mystery is set up right there then the antagonist sets the blackmail and you hate the antagonist i defy most people to read the first chapter of this book and not finish it it's the mystery is so intriguing and it's so fun and just like yeah when, when you said like the mystery drives it forward i couldn't agree more like the mystery is so much fun and you would just have a great time being like is it this this person. Oh, and you like try and guess, and and I did not guess correctly. I texted Bailey at one point, and I was like, "Yeah, I got it. It's this guy." And he was basically like the main red herring, and I was like, "Oh, what a fool!"
0: And then it was so <laughs> funny because you <clears throat> you texted me, and I was like 115 pages in, but you were like near the end of the book. You were <laughs> you had already surpre- uh, surpassed me, even though you were just reading it sort of as a joke.
2: I've had I'm having a big reading week. That's all.
0: Honestly, the only big critique I have with this book is that, I mean, this is kind of a silly problem, but I had seen the movie and the movie is a great adaptation. So I remembered who Blue was. And so I think that took away from... The reveal, and that you know, it made it less of a like unputdownable book, but still enjoyed it. Even though I'd already seen the movie, I still got a lot out of it. However, you know, if you're deciding should I read the book or see the movie first, if you care about like the reading experience being unspoiled, I would read the book first so that you're surprised for the movie.
2: Hundred percent agree.
0: And then the only other critique I have was it's part of a series called the Simonverse, um, and. The next two, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a bad, Sorry, that's, that's a, just a hilarious name. To know. A
0: but the next two books don't follow Simon or Blue. They follow sort of secondary characters. Like there's Leah on the offbeat, which follows his friend Leah. And I, this, I mean, I didn't haven't read those, but I was just thinking like maybe this is better as a standalone. Like I, I'm not that intrigued by the sequels, but that, that doesn't really affect this book particularly. Uh, So yeah, so I'm giving it four stars. I think it was probably between three and four. And then I really got into it. And the, the sweetness of the romance pushed it to a four for me. What about you, Toby?
2: I give it four stars as well. Um, The mystery was great. And I think she did an amazing job of capturing that kind of heady, intoxicating feeling of having an insanely powerful crush. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things that I think that YA does really well is like bring you back into these like these memories.
0: Yeah, that's what I love about YA. It's like you, you just feel so much more intensely when you're a teenager and it really brings you back to this. And I think it works too because of she includes the emails, like you're sort of interpreting every word like you would if yeah. you're a teenager. You're like, oh, he said love this time, or he said I'm thinking of you, or whatever. You're like, ooh, <laughs> yep So yeah, so I I'm giving it four stars. I'm going to keep it on my shelf. I do have the you know lame version, the movie version cover, but I still like it, so I'll keep it. But I don't know that I'll read the rest of the Simon verse
1: shade also fair
2: enough <laughs> uh,
0: um toby do you have any facts i
2: do uh, this is gonna be one of those ones i think we have a bit of a, a a theme on the podcast where if we have a crazy weird historical author we we have their weird life and all the things they did and if you have a more modern author i usually go for an interview because literally there's not much to learn about becky abertali
1: yeah usually there's like a two paragraph uh wikipedia article and then like maybe some information on their website yes <laughs> and <laughs> other than that you have interviews that's my experience with, with modern authors as well and i I think it's very wise of
2: modern authors they really do i think if i was one of these people i would try and keep a low profile i don't want people knowing my whole life story anyway um she was born uh becky albert albertali was born rebecca albertali surprise <laughs> did you change it so, so
3: you could sound more regal
0: yeah exactly Rebecca <laughs> yeah. D. Albertalli. She,
2: she, yeah Albertalli. she was born november 17th 1982 uh she was born in atlanta and that's about it no that's not true
0: The book takes place in Atlanta.
2: (laughs) Um, She went to Wesleyan. uh, She majored in psychology. She got a doctorate in clinical psychology, which actually, I think, is a kind of a theme in our modern authors that we've read, which is that a lot of them have like advanced degrees and then decide to write something on the side, and it does Mm -hmm. really well. Yeah. For example, Outlander.
0: And Sun is also a star.
2: Yep. Um, she worked as a psychologist until 2012 when her first son was born. And uh, I think while she was uh, at home uh, with her son, she decided to try writing a novel. You know, when you just have a young child in the house, you have all that free time. <laughs> it's really relaxing. You can focus. So she just decided to write a bestselling novel. Same. <laughs> <laughs> this is from an interview with the website A+. The interviewer asks, my favorite part of the book is how Simon asks why being straight and why being white is the norm in Society. Was challenging this worldview something important to you? And Becky responds, I would say yes, but the idea kind of developed as I wrote the book. One of the things that was on my mind, just reflecting on the book, was the idea that Simon is the one who gets in there during the emails to Blue and asks, why is straight the default? It's actually Blue who also says, yeah, and white is also the default. Simon doesn't consider that because he's never had to. It's not until the end of the book that it hits him that this question is bigger than just his experiences. I think that's something that I kind of had to really grapple with as I was writing because I was telling the story from the place of privilege. When you have that privilege, you don't have to think about some of these issues because you are the cultural default. I think it's something we need to, each of us as readers with our various places of privilege, reflect on that, try to understand how privilege shapes our worldview, be able to challenge that within ourselves, and push back against that cultural default whenever we can. And I will say, if you're curious about this book, don't do any research because I ran across multiple interviews where the author says who Blue is in the interview. And I'm shocked that she did that.
1: Shocking. Shocking.
2: I was shocked. (laughs) So this is from another interview with WH Smith, uh, which is a UK bookseller chain. Uh, WH Smith asks Is the character of Simon based on anyone in particular? Uh, Becky says Simon isn't particularly based on anyone I will say there's a lot of me in him among other things we share a birthday an intense love of Harry Potter and a very strong desire to be funny and well liked Also the Oreo obsession is straight up autobiographical Other than that I'm sure I pulled the quirks and characteristics from many of my nearest and dearest probably more than I even realize Um, This is from an interview with the Young Adult Library Service Association uh, about winning the 2016 Morris award for YA debut novel. Uh, The interviewer asks, the premise of your book relies on Simon's reluctance to come out to his family and friends. As a librarian who's worked in a small southern community, I am grateful that books like yours exist so that teens who are struggling with coming out can see themselves reflected on the page. What advice would you give teens in similar situations to Simon? And Becky answers, this is actually a hard question for me because I'm not in the best position to give meaningful advice here. Truthfully, I've never had to come out. I think this is one of those issues where it's important to connect with others who've lived the experience or who are currently going through it. I love this resource via the Trevor Project. And you can go to trevorspace.org. It's a social networking site for LGBTQ plus youth. And she says, a bit of advice I do feel comfortable giving is this. Coming out is deeply personal and no teen or kid or adult should ever feel pressured to come out before they're ready. And there's one more fun question from that interview where the interview asks, one last very serious question. What is your Oreo preference? And Becky Ooh. answers... Double stuff and classic. No contest.
0: Are there other Oreos?
2: <laughs> there are tons of Oreos. Birthday cake, golden Oreos, mint what? Oreos. Mint Oreos are gross, by the way.
0: I need to, like, do some research. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Great facts, Toby. I really like it when you guys share um, information from interviews. I think... They answer a lot of questions that we have in really articulate ways. So great job. Um, Thank
1: you Also, just shout out again for the Trevor project. If you're looking for a place to donate money They're a great resource Um, and they do a lot of things aside from what Toby already called out, which is already awesome Yes, double down on the Trevor project. Yep.
0: Um, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do Yay
1: guys wanna play a game. Yes. Yeah. 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 So the name of the game this week is desert island surprise (laughs) and You guys are going to enjoy it. All right. (laughs) Because I say so. I love mandatory fun. Exactly. So the way this game is going to work, it's going to test your knowledge of classic literature and items. So what I've done is picked six fictional characters from books I know you have read or at least have familiarity with. And I've listed three items that they would take with them on a desert island. All right. OK. OK. So the way this game works is I'm going to list the items one by one for each character. Whenever you have an answer, you can shout out who you think it is. Don't need to buzz in or anything. You can just shout out the name of the character.
2: If every Great. answer is Jolly the goat, I'm going to be upset.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the way the the point system works is based on how many clues you needed to get the answer, you will get that many points. So it's sort of inversely proportional. So if you got it on the first clue, you would get three points. If you got on the second clue, you get sec- uh, two points, and if you got on the third clue, that's only worth one point. Okay. The uh, third clue will give away all of them, guaranteed. Got I have six of them, so it is possible for us to tie. But let's cross that bridge when we come to okay. it. All right. Number one, books. Wand. Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. This is not clue number three. Um,
0: Hermione Granger. Large
1: orange cat named Crookshanks. Hermione. <laughs> Thank you. Bailey got one point. Yes. So yeah, wand I knew would get you there, but I thought the books might get you specifically to Hermione ahead of time.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: You know what? I'm glad you said that because I was like, wand, but as I was saying Harry Potter,
1: I was like, Harry wouldn't bring books. He doesn't read. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's one point to Bailey. Mm, well, well done, Bailey. All right. Number two, a box. Schrodinger. No. What? <laughs> We're not talking about philosophical problems here. Uh, clue number two. A map of London. Ooh. Wow, a map of London. Alright, three. A large amount of Transylvanian Earth. Uh, Dracula. Uh, That's correct, Toby. It's Dracula. Dracula can't travel anywhere without his boxes of Earth. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, come on, Bailey. Wow, I didn't even read that. I, <laughs> I have read that book a long time ago, actually. <laughs> nice. Alright. Number three. Cloak, barb.
0: Oh, Clooney the scourge. That's right. No. no!
1: My
2: man. The third
1: item was small animal skull to fasten cloaks. That's the the one. (laughs) No. (laughs) Fencing foils. Hamlet. D'Artagnan. Nope. Hunter's cap.
0: Um, Holden Caulfield.
1: That is correct. Yes. Two points. Holden Caulfield is does fencing? He like lost the fencing foils on his way. To, that's why he's sort of in New York, isn't it? Oh. Where that's part of the, the plot of it.
0: What was the last clue? <laughs> Carousel?
1: Baseball glove belonging to dead brother. Ooh. I don't think I would have gotten it on that one. I've forgotten that book. Yeah, well, it's okay. You can read it or not later in your life. <laughs> all right so there are two questions left toby you're down by four points bailey has a five to one lead you're gonna need to start guessing a little more wildly to try to get sort of the uh, i did say
2: d'artagnan when you said fencing foil. that that was a good guess honestly
1: yeah no it was i mean i guess i should clarify you're gonna need to guess early and guess correctly okay thank you very much as usual the game turns out to
2: be a long long long-winded humiliation of toby (laughs) love it
1: You've been having a good run recently, actually, Toby. That's true. Thank you, Andrea. You're welcome. All right. Number five. Spelling medal. Two carved figurines. Ham costume. Scout Finch. That's correct, Bailey. At one point. Yes. Uh... Yeah, no, the ham costume I thought was a good kicker. Yeah, on no, there. it is. Yeah. It is a good kicker. It just It took me half a second longer. Sorry. There's one more left. And you know what? Let's double points on this just for fun. Let's quintuple points on it. It actually only affects one thing because Bailey's up six to one. (laughs) So we're doubling points here. You have to get it right on one guess. I don't think you will, Toby, but let's see. And that's not an insult to you. It's just this isn't a very easy, like a very giveawayable clue. All right. The final one. Toothbrush. Arthur Dent? No. Who's Arthur Dent?
0: It's from Hitchhiker. He hasn't read it.
2: He's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I mean, towel would be better, but I think he does bring his toothbrush along. Anyway, people yell at me. Either way, it's not him.
1: Okay. Okay. So toothbrush is the first clue. TV set is number two. No clue. And three is Egg Snake.
0: Oh, um, uh, the kid from Room.
1: Uh, Uh, Yeah, what's the kid from Room's first name? Oh, I don't know.
0: Augustus? No. What's his name?
1: (laughs) It's Fault in Our Stars.
0: (laughs) Um, uh,
1: the kid from Room, Jacob uh, Tremblay. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob great. Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> uh, his name's Jack. I didn't actually expect you to know the oh. answer. Kid from Room was acceptable. <laughs> kid from Room. So Bailey, you have won the game! Yay! Seven to one. Yeah, fine, congratulations! Well done, Bailey.
0: My prize is I get stranded on a desert island with yes. all those things.
1: Congratulations!
0: Yay! Awesome. Good game. Dylan. Now that time in the podcast for Dylan to choose books at random from our shelves, it is The Choosening.
3: The Choosening. The choosening.
1: I don't want to say what I want, but I'd love it to be written after the 1700s. <laughs>
0: we'll see.
3: Well, here's the thing, Andrew. You'll get no sympathy from me. Because you have number 76, The Sympathizer, by Viet Thanh Nguyen.
1: Oh, oh, oh great. Ooh. That's exciting. That won the Pulitzer a few years ago. Yeah, yeah it did. It,
0: and it's super fun. And super quick yeah great.
2: very up, very uplifting yeah very easy peasy i certainly haven't dnf'd it
1: <laughs> so wait it's be, you know you guys both don't like it i i really liked it i, dylan really I dnf'd
2: it. it dylan really likes it but that's not a good uh thing
3: <laughs> how how
2: dare you dylan likes boring books
1: i said it oh i'm happy by the way i'm happy with this good
0: good yeah.
3: you might not have to spend 30 years on an island but you will have to spend number 148 a year in the murday. Merd. Merd? mared, Merd A Year in the mared by Stephen Clark.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm excited. This this is one. This will be pretty easy. It's a you know, I think it's a memoir about this guy spending a year in, in France. Um, my, my friend gave it to me years ago, like in college, and I haven't read it yet. So I'm excited. Cool. Awesome. So next week on the podcast, we'll have a mini sode And then the week after that, Toby's reading Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. And I am reading A Year in the Merid by Stephen Clark. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at slash the To read list podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Twitter at to read list pod.
1: And if you enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to rate us and review us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. They make it really easy. You just click that fifth star and all the other ones fill up and you are set. <laughs>
2: Again, if you enjoyed this podcast. We always ask you, uh, please do tell people that you know, because you'll know better than us, the people in your area, hopefully, that enjoy books and would enjoy this podcast. Uh, Word of mouth is always our best advertisement.
0: Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for recording our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books. 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 Books, books, books,
3: books.